That's what makes it good. All right. Are we ready? Listen, we have to talk about, you already know, we're going to do the show and it's even been, you know, requested. Like, are you guys going to do episode three and four deep dive? Absolutely. So much so that I rewatched all four episodes of Lovecraft Country. Did you watch? Did you go back and do any rewatch? I did not go back. I did not go back and rewatch. What I've done though is so I haven't done a purposeful rewatch, but there have been two times where I have caught probably 20 minutes of the episode mm-hmm. and just sat and watched it. Right. So and- welcome to the Black Futures Podcast where Maurice Dolberry is gonna get brain and mind dumped all these freaking fine details <laughs> of Lovecraft Country. So here's the thing. If you're listening to this right now and you have not seen episode three or four, stop, stop it. <laughs> well, listen to the previous episode of one and two and enjoy that as until you're tired of hearing about that. Go watch three and four and then come holler at us on this one because I'm shout about to go. Shout out to my man Seth who hit me up. He was like, hey, man, should I check the podcast? You know, I want to watch. I'm trying to get in Lovecraft Country. I was like, dude, you have to watch this show first. This is this isn't just spoilers. This is like we trying to figure out. And, you know, I was thinking about something earlier today. What's even better or worse or different for people, you know, who who are going to end up listening to this as a podcast is we have not. And I've made a a conscious decision to not read the book now. I will not read the book before the show ends because I don't want it to. I want to bump around into these different theories and enjoy it organically by accident. You know what I mean? And it's a different like shooting. We were watching Game of Thrones. The people who are reading the song Fire and Ice on books, you know, were like, nah, well, this is different. And we enjoy how George R. R. Martin's joint is different from TV. Same. And I kind of, you know, was digging into Walking Dead comment uh, comic. You know, so I was like, yeah, I can appreciate the difference. I kind of see where it's going, but they changed it up mm-hmm. here. We just bumping into shit. And correct. The show is so multi-layered yeah. that we're going to have shit right, shit wrong. People going to be who read the book are going to be like, oh, you almost got it. Oh, but then the show flipped it. And then people who haven't seen it are going to be like, fuck, I should have never listened to the podcast because now every possible theory I've had has been thrown out. Yeah, that's that's, that's absolutely true, because I'm not I have not only not reading the book, I'm not reading anybody's write ups. Nothing. I could be dead wrong, and that's fine because Mm -hmm. it's dope. It's like, so we're talking about interpretation of the show. Let's dig in. I rewatched episodes one, two, and three last night. Okay? Went all the way back to the beginning, and I see things completely different. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I have some theories that we're going to bump into, but I don't want to jump ahead because I'm excited. So let's just start Mm -hmm. where we start. Episode three. Now, hold on, though. Mm. So so are we going to... Let's 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 kind of map it out then. So, are we gonna start with three, start with and two. then rotate back around? Let's start or with do two. you want to, or do you want to give your general like I thought it was going this way, and then circle back and tell us about the rewatch? What are we gonna do with that? I don't think that anything that I any rules I lay out are actually gonna be adhered to. <laughs> I don't trust myself or you to do it. So let's I'm start. Just, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to co-host this thing, but I can see you already. Let All me right, start let's here. Let's start here. Let's start. Episode two, Letty gets shot in the gut, blacker, and dies. And that's a point that you and I 
had a disagreement on it first because you thought she didn't die. And I was like, no, she dead. Right. Right. You agree yeah, now that was, she died. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was figurative. I thought, you know, that she died figuratively. And you were right that she died literally. When he said who you can save, I thought it was saved from dying. And the actual was a resurrection. And you were right about it being a resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So she's on the couch and she's resurrected. And and that means a lot going forward. Because she goes to the sink, she washes, we're still in episode two now. She washes her wound and it's not there anymore. And then we leave episode two alone. We know what else happened, right? But now episode three. Episode three opens up in the church. Ladies in the church. And everybody else is churching it up like you do when you go home. What's up, Mrs. Dolberry? And um Reverend Dolberry yeah, Reverend just Dolberry. blasting my stuff. That's how I go. Uh-huh. And then and then we see, you know, she's talking with Ruby about the idea that, you know, I owe you all these things and all this money you've sent me. And Ruby's like, what the hell are you talking about? Well, I bought a house. And we see this, mm-hmm. you know, monster's house mm-hmm. straight up. And, Lane. Yeah, yeah. 1313 Bockenberg Lane. And on the surface level, she has a house. She it's beat up. It requires work. There's like a black widow spider. It's, you know, Ruby finally acquiesces to say, yeah, listen, okay. So despite my resistance, I'm going to go ahead and, and do this sister experiment with you. I'm going to move in, but you're going to give me the biggest room. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So then we see Letty like jump forward. She's moving her friends in artist friends. And we get like a subtle nod to James Baldwin. I don't think that was actually James Baldwin. I think that was like the dog's name was Baldwin. It's just a, na- a way to name drop James Baldwin. What did you think? Uh, the, that the dog's name was Baldwin. Yeah. And his name was James. Yeah. Those would be coincidences in 1955. Cause I'm trying to, you know, I'm not sure where James Baldwin was in the national discourse in 55. Maybe I'm wrong. I need to look it up. I, I love Baldwin's philosophy. I don't know enough about his chronology. Um, so, and I'm thinking this is, well, we know, right? This is before Emmett Till mm-hmm. went to Mississippi. That was mm-hmm. 54 or 55, right? right? So around that time, I don't know where James Baldwin is. I think that's just, I think that's a nod to the fact that the entire fact that uh, the whole thing is about fire and Baldwin's the fire next time, uh, you know, shoot, that's where it is. I think that it's outside of the story, right? Because I yeah. don't think they would have been naming anything after James Baldwin in 1955. Say the Baldwin quote that you're referencing just for putting uh, on the record. Well, so uh, the fire next time. So, so James Baldwin writes in particular – uh, a very, it's, 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 I'm hyperbolic person, right? In my opinion, it's arguably the most important social commentary, um, from any literary figure or philosopher during that time. It's a, it's a letter to his nephew also named James. And he is explaining to his 12 year old nephew how the world works when you are black. Uh, and and it is such this empowerful, you know, so talks. So my dungeon shook. Right. Um, our letters. And that's, you know, part of that comes from. So James Baldwin takes my dungeon shook and the fire next time and all of these different pieces that he's given us. And he has this real I got to go off on Baldwin for a second. Shit. Edit it out. Whatever you got to do. Baldwin is an atheist. Right. 
and and this because this all ties into Lovecraft Country. So Baldwin's an atheist. However, you <laughs> shaking your head. Jesus, y'all man, you've said head. fucking nothing for the last right. three minutes. But listen, this makes I'm me have gonna, to edit shit. I've given you. I've given you six different pieces. I started to say different things. Now watch. I can't I'm leave make all, all six those pieces in. grow towards each other. First of all, I said fire next time. My dungeon shook. A letter to a nephew. Baldwin is atheist. I'm putting all these pieces together for you. So Baldwin's an atheist. However, all of his philosophy is in this really strange way because it's couched in a critique of Christianity and what Christianity is meant for black men. It still has this spiritual root. So, for example, my dungeon shook comes from an old Negro spiritual. When I thought all was lost, my dungeon shook and my chains fell off. It's an old Negro spiritual. The fire next time. God gave Noah the rainbow sign. No more water to fire next time. So he uses and invokes these Negro spirituals and has us address Christianity, the hypocrisy of Christianity as he sees it, the the mismatched irrelevance of Christianity and why he's atheist, but he couches it still by rep, by acknowledging and understanding the black church and black Christianity is still the seat of the civil rights movement. Started now a significant piece of that has been taken by the time, you know, Baldwin is in his heyday, a significant piece of that has been taken also by the Nation of Islam, right? So all of that relates to Lovecraft Country because all of those Baldwinian conceptions, right, nominal Christianity, people in a church, but the person in the church who receives the message, the strongest, Letty in this case, receives it in a way that you can look, everybody's churching it up except her. And I'm not going right. to step on where you're going with that, yeah. but just to, the piece, right, to tie all six of those things I just started to say. But again, they come together, right, because the notion of – because the, the title of the episode is – Holy Ghost. Okay. And then there's one, but there's the other one's about fire, right? No, History of Violence. History of Violence. So this is an understanding about the United States, its history of violence – um, Baldwin draws some of his harshest critiques of the United States when he talks about what happened to four little girls in Birmingham, right, who were blown up in their church. Mm -hmm. So for Baldwin, and I see in Lovecraft Country, it carries on a lot of his philosophical and literary uh, uh, traditions and how he challenges, pokes at, and also purposefully uses and embraces Christianity as a part of this Black American experience. Okay. The fire next time, which is where you were going. Right. Okay. Right. Now, just for sake of concising, say the quote. God gave no other rainbow sign, no more water to fire next time. In reference to the end of the world. Okay, great. Well, in reference to the Negro who had taken the white Christian version, which at the time was God gave no other rainbow sign. And then the 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 Negroes who were enslaved and purposefully kept from education and could only receive things orally, never received a written version, didn't get song lyrics, had to hear it and translate it, added mm. their own flavor to it. They said God gave Noah the rainbow sign because at first it meant God put the Ark of the Covenant. He said, hey, I ain't gonna blow, I ain't gonna flood the world. I ain't gonna flood the world no more. I did that that one time. We right. good now. And black folks said God gave Noah the rainbow sign. No more water to fire next time, right? Like, no, y'all messed up, and I flooded it. Next time, I'm burning y'all to hell. 
right. you're going to go to hell, which is what black folks can and should be saying about a world in which they're enslaved. Right. Right. God should be trying to tell you something. God should be tearing y'all a new one. And I think he will. And so that's how, you know, we, you know, change that, that need to go spiritual. And so Baldwin takes that the fire next time. Right. Now we've got to go. Now we've just officially hit the deep dive because mm -hmm. you've gone off and now you tapped into some other stuff because this week I also watched the birth of a nation, Nate Parker's version. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I watched it from beginning to end. I watched it by myself and all the emotions that come with that. I thought it was a well-made movie. Nate has, you know, had his troubles that precluded many people from seeing the movie. But that shouldn't be the case. I think it actually he can have a negative experience in his life and the movie can be very, very positive in telling a story. Dude, so, we're watching Lovecraft Country. Right. H.P. Lovecraft. And, and right. to to not to not mince words around Nate Parker, Nate Parker was um, accused and ultimately acquitted um, of of raping a woman. Right. And questions about that story abound. Right. We mm -hmm. That's not for this podcast. But to consider and say, I'm going to take this piece of art and watch this by someone who I may, for example, think is a hor horrendous person. That's what we're doing every time we fire up Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. Country. H.P. Right. Lovecraft was an avowed, openly white supremacist, racist piece of shit. And then he, he, he's got a poem called On the Creation of Niggers. Yeah, so, which was know, referenced in, in episode one. Right. Right. Where, whereas Nate Parker, you know, there's there's questions about, you know, we can we think and look, we may draw the conclusion, but H.P. Lovecraft wore it on his sleeve and as his identity that he's a fucking piece of trash. Right. right. So to 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 separate the art from the artist and to allow the art to represent and reflect something independent of the artist is something that is inherent in what we're doing. Right. So shit. So the takeaway and why I bring it up, my takeaway from Birth of a Nation, the thing that stayed with me for hours after watching that movie was that all of the characters in that movie, presumably, were Christian. Yeah. Nat Turner was devout. He was a reverend. He was a teacher, a, you know, a preacher that was being carted around in different plantations to preach to the enslaved. And there were his his quote unquote owner, his slave master was being paid to bring his Negro preacher around, which the idea was that you will, his words will subdue, you know, these rowdy enslaved people. And they did. Right. Now, at the same time, all the white people in the, in the, the slave owning white people, clearly the villains in the movie, in my, my view, I don't know if anybody watches it and sees something otherwise, they're all <laughs> Christian. Right. Right. They give Nat the Bible, and he's only allowed to read certain sections of it. That transcended the movie for me. I can go into the movie, and that's not important. The important is that my walk away was, this is compounding my problem with Christianity. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And I don't want anybody to get offended of what I'm saying. Because I'm not going to destroy or diss or speak negatively about that religion. I'm just going to say that the idea that so much death and destruction was done in America uh, using Christianity as a tool is something that we need to talk about in great length at some point. That's why Baldwin was so dope about 
openly having that discussion. A gay black man who was an atheist in the 1960s Mm -hmm. writing about black freedom. (laughs) So you talk about courageous. Right. So this this actually touches on the bigger pictures in this in this particular episode. Letty is resurrected. She's Mm -hmm. she's back to life. She's in the church, but not really feeling the church. She -hmm. then goes on to become a pioneer. And that's that's one of the key things in the titling right after the, the key sequence. There was a subtitle and it was talking about how in the 50s in a Chicago suburb, some black family who was moving to a white neighborhood experienced what we see in the show. Pioneering is dangerous. Yep. There's a tangent there for us because through Baldwin, we get ta Coates, right? Mm-hmm. H-U. And ta Coates wrote Between the World and Me to his son Shimori, which is a letter about white supremacy as he sees it and what his son is going to face. And he writes it, you know, not, not, not pretending, but acknowledging and fully embracing the fact that he is doing a recreation and an homage to Baldwin's My Dungeon Shook in the Fire Next Time, right? So the, what he wrote to his nephew. And so one of the things that, that Ta-Nehisi uh, wrote, the, the thing that really blew him up was the case for reparations. And one of the, the, the centerpiece of the case for reparations is studying 1950s Chicago and housing discrimination and exactly what that did to the wealth of black folks who moved largely from Mississippi because that 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 railway Mississippi went mm-hmm, to Chicago mm-hmm. and Alabama went to Detroit. So all my people, you know, they their people are from Alabama. And all my, <laughs> and all Car- and all my folks. Jersey folks are from Carolina. Right. Continue. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Boom. A little bit for a little bit, a little bit farther east. Right. So the fact that you have this this migration, right, the great migration, you've got people who are moving from Mississippi. You've got a consistent group of southern folks who have scrimped and saved everything they have who've moved specifically to Chicago, Detroit, New Jersey, New York. And they're coming there with the last pennies they have to buy a house, to invest in the primary piece of wealth for any American. And they get swindled. They never get home ownership. And so at the centerpiece, ta studies exactly what home ownership and the lack of home ownership and swindled or compromised home ownership, they call contracts, right? You get a contract. It's not a lease. And it's not a mortgage. Right. You don't own anything and you have no renter's rights. It was something they created specifically for poor and forcibly uneducated black folk from Mississippi to buy into to swindle them. Right. And so I see all of those pieces as tangents and and aspects of it from, you know, Baldwin and Coates. Housing discrimination, Chicago, 1950s and exactly what it looked like and how Letty is challenging that. But <laughs> the house that she buys is, I know where you're going. <laughs> Haunted. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Oh, you can buy that big ass house. It's got 15 rooms, seven bathrooms, an elevator. Absolutely. Not even you can buy that house. She's clearly led to this house. You know, right. money shows up in the name of her mother, who is penniless and destitute and estranged, and guidance from the realtor to buy this house the black realtor who somehow or other has this office has the money to advertise in the paper and he's the guy go buy this house on the north side of chicago with this money you just found and she does it and she uses it as an opportunity to as she sees it her make good uh, with her sister and with her community jumping forward the house is haunted and and as a point the house being haunted just very quick aside my 
uh, socialist and communist comrades would say, and that's a commentary on capitalism because you can't buy your way to freedom buying houses they pointing to you to buy. Yep. Obviously, the neighborhood is a white neighborhood. They have these professionally designed signs <laughs> to keep black people out <laughs> on their yard. Very beautiful artwork. They brick their their horns so that the neighborhood will show their disdain for, for these black folks here. Letty does Letty. She has a house party. The whole south side of Chicago is now on the north side for this party. And things, you know, go wrong. Let's not skip over the fact that she had a a sexual experience with Tick upstairs in the bathroom. But here's a point, another point that you and I disagreed on. The guy from the bar, and I don't know the character's name. You knew his name. What's his name? Seymour. Seymour comes up to Tick and says, me and Letty used to tussle back in high school. Uh, I want to ask you about that because, you know, are you hitting that or what? And Tick's like, mm-hmm. you know, basically back off, son. About to go do mm-hmm. me. They end up in the bathroom. She's up there, upstairs cooling off because house parties in Chicago in the summertime be hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> been mm-hmm. there done that yep. and uh they have sex in the bathroom okay now this is this is the part she's bleeding after sex and blames it on her on her cycle later we come to hear her say that that was my first time which is in conflict with what seymour was saying saying mm-hmm. i used to hit that in high school okay now jumping forward to episode four momentarily Seymour goes to explain why his nickname is Tree. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have one or two legs. I got (laughs) Tree. (laughs) Mm -hmm. To which she says, like, he's telling her, to which she says, we we had sex in high school. Why are you telling me that? I took that to be literal. Like, what? She had sex with him in high school? But in the last episode, she told Tick it was her first time. Right. You read that a different way, please. Correct. Because she said the line, I believe, was... Since we fucked in high school, Seymour. Right. The point that I took away, because I remember, and I don't read, they don't have throwaway lines. I remember, I swear, somebody setting some rumors or talking about rumors that she was a a hoe in high school or whatever. Mm. Right. And maybe I'm misremembering. However, here's the thing. This is true. Either tree does not even remember that he had sex with her. Right. Right. Because he's trying to, he's trying to explain to her, you know, yeah, I got a big dick. Right. And she's like, and I took it as sarcastically, like, and she's like, well, why would you have to explain that to me if we fucked already, Seymour? You're, you're probably right. And I haven't rewatched four yet. So yeah, I'll watch for that. Right. And so I took that as, he told Tick, yeah, we used to get it on. Tick probably came back to her like, oh, where you and Tree used to get? Yeah. And she probably looked at him like, didn't I tell you I was a virgin? Nah, that would happen all off screen. Right. Yep. So then that would explain why she would be saying to Tree like, mm-hmm. okay, right. so it, you wouldn't be coming here telling me your dick was big. I should remember it right. since, you know, we fucked in high school and it was spectacular. Correct. So the other thing is... She could be lying about it, but I I don't think she would. Like I, that wouldn't fit in as as unashamed as she is about everything. That would be weird. Yeah. Well, now th- there's so many pieces to jump back to. Let's jump back to episode three because she Letty becomes the superhero again. Right? She saved us in episode one, and 
that was, you know, from the monsters in the woods. And I, in rewatching that episode, even I felt like those monsters were clearly there to protect Tick. And they don't necessarily care about Letty and Uncle George, but I'm here to protect Tick. So I'm going to eat yes, all these they, cops. They pro- wiped their memories. They right. didn't even remember. They couldn't physically remember mm-hmm. them. There's that. She saved us in episode one. And now here she comes against white racism in the neighborhood. She gets so fed up that she goes out and does it again. Grabs the, the Jackie Robinson bat, goes and bashes in the cars, and the brothers do what brothers do. <laughs> Give me the shoddy. I'm not mm-hmm. going to break this place up myself, but nothing going to happen to her right. on my watch because it's right. not. Yep. And then the sister, Ruby, does something incredible with her foresight. You hear the sirens? She automatically knows, pull the car up, pop the trunk, put all that stuff in the trunk. I'm out. Yep. And, and then and then they get into, you know, um, the idea that uh, black folks then and now know that they're not going to get a fair shake from the police. So mm-hmm. they immediately go ahead and put their hands on their heads and, and kneel on the ground. Ooh. Right. Yep. An unfortunate reality in America. Mm-hmm. Um, then they give her the Freddie Gray. Rough ride, and they give us some more some more information. Now they've introduced, you know, on the horror side of the show, they've introduced the uh, police captain uh, who tells us about the house, lets us know there's been some things happening there. How did you know to even go here? And uh, we jump to the next day. Mm-hmm. So lots happened. We learned about the house. Now Letty is down in that dark room. First of all, who does that? I was down in the basement, and the boiler was about to blow up. And then someone was coming through the hole in the floor trying to come through and I can see it and hear voices. So I decided to clear the room at him, turn it into a space I'm going to use. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also in this episode, the scene that kept Demi and Jamie up at night was the, the cousin, not cousin, it uh, thing hand that pulled the sheet back. <laughs> and then like the woman who came up over the, over the bed with the jaw busted out yeah. and then yanked the sheets off. Yeah, bro. Both the ladies could not sleep over that. That's funny. Those ghosts, those spirits in the house, were protecting her. Yes, you know we see it as like they were like, like get your ass up. Yeah, we see it as like these horror elements. There's the hand, disembodied hand, and then the jawless uh, woman. But these are the black ghosts in the house who are reaching out to the, shall we say, human woman in the house to alert her. There's a problem. I need you to wake up now. The state of decay that their body is in, who they look like, I think I can read that as maybe a a little miniature commentary on respectability politics, right? The the way that we come at you and the way that we present ourselves, we ain't got no choice. Mm. You think we would look like this if we could? Right. And it's interesting because they all get, you know, their pre- yeah. Uh, decomposition, you know, how they would have looked and how they would have seen themselves and how other people would have seen them, right? So yeah. they yeah. end up do they do end up getting that back. So the book of this episode is Dracula. And even in that title scene where it talks about pioneering is dangerous, you see the last piece that comes up on the screen is the casket with the body in it. Which to me is a double entendre. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But it is like, okay, there's a body buried under the house. There's actually several. There's, a, there's eight spirits. And then there's also the, the evil scientist dude uh, who's, who's, in, who's buried under, whose spirit's stuck in the house. But the book being Dracula, which we understand is uh, Uncle George's favorite book, mm-hmm. this is where I went with Letty. Like, why I thought she was lying. Is it her first time? Or is it like a, a is, is her resurrection now non-human 
is she now mm. other than human? Because she now has powers. You know, mm. maybe, maybe she doesn't. Maybe, maybe she just adopted the energy that the, the shaman woman brought in, by cr- chanting in Creole and stuff. But she exercised a ghost with the help of, and spoke to spirits without any training, with no protection. She mm-hmm. has supernatural powers expressed for the first time in this episode after her resurrection. The book is Dracula, and she has, she appears to be having her first time sex like vampires would heal. So there is that. And I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. I don't know. I, she was clearly was, in the sun. So there's that. Yeah. She's been in the sun. She's seen herself in mirrors. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so her reflection appears. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that there's probably something different from the Dracula story that, that, that we're going to get. I think Dracula, the story, mm-hmm. but I think vampire is probably not where it's going. Okay. That's fair. And I but, don't know. To acknowledge your point, she's got powers and is different after she's been resurrected, right? After there's been a transformation. Yeah. And there's also the piece, and it may be something, it may not be, the times where her and Tick are able to use any sort of powers, it's connection with their ancestors. Right. And I don't know if that's purposeful or Mm -hmm. if that's just that's just how it's gone so far. That may be coincidental. We'll see. It just come, you know, something that I kind of put a pin into yep. because we were talking about does Letty actually have powers or has she been, is she now an empowered vessel of the ancestors? Like, is who she knows? The I, don't, I don't know. Well, this is key now in the, in the story. Now we're at a point right. in the story where she is now, she's at the diner and she's doing all this research because she went down to the, to the photo room and saw the, the evil spirits appear to her. Uh, through the stack of her pictures, who does that, right? Who assembles the photo? I'm not doing that in the house. No. <laughs> she tells Tick, look, the house is haunted, to which he immediately goes, which <laughs> laid out for me. Like, nothing yeah. is beyond belief at this point. Just tell me. <clears throat> let me know. Tell me. Mm-hmm. Now, she tells Tick in that scene, it was my first time having sex. He's like, I, you know, I didn't know. And here's what she says. I needed it. She goes, ever since what happened at the house, meaning Mm -hmm. getting shot and resurrected, something's been missing. I haven't been connecting with the world. I'm just trying to feel something. I went to church. I didn't feel anything. I reached out to Ruby. Didn't feel anything. I reached out to you. I started pioneering. I'm just trying to feel something because something's missing. She's admitting she's different now. And she's like not in contact with her humanity. She doesn't feel the same. And that's another thing that led me to say like why is is this is this like some vampire shit what is going on here's how i took that i took it as her speaking aloud and inadvertently maybe letting him in on remember the fantasy thing they were all in their room the two of them Mm -hmm. right when it was tick you know and it started out acting on what i think were her impulses towards him right so i think Part I think maybe she is saying, or it could be a both and. Yo, I've been, you know, I just I had it on my mind. There was sexual tension. Both and then because she specifically listed four things that she's actively doing to try to re-engage life. Right. She's like, I'm I died and then I'm back. Like that's crazy. So that's why I think that was important. And that's what also led me to that whole, you know, Dracula piece, because it's kind of like that uh, interview with the vampire thing. Kirsten Dunst becomes a vampire at that age, and she's always that age. Yep. So there's, you know, there's all these things are tying together. Yeah. So anyway, 
they exercise the ghost. They keep it moving. The 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 the, spe- the the book of the episode was Dracula. There were ghosts in the basement, and there's a su- there's a floor below the basement where the bodies are buried. And we go on living in the house. The other piece is we, we see Tick try to kill the daughter of, of the villain from the previous episode. And she comes with, you got to be smarter than this. You yeah. can't just walk around killing white women. I know. Her la- <laughs> yeah, right. Her la- Braithwhite. Braithwhite is her name. Yeah, but what's yeah, yeah. her first name? Is it Elizabeth? Christina. Christina Braithwhite. Christina. Yeah. What do you think of that piece? The fact that she warns him, you, you have to be smarter than this. You can't just walk around killing white women. Oh, no, not that- women. Not people. White women specifically. That shit is as real as it gets. <laughs> that's as real as it gets. And look, that's why George told Emmett Till, the boy in the previous episode, you are not going to enjoy your trip right. because of a white woman. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's as real as it gets. It was a real strong commentary. That scene reminded me of Get Out. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> uh, just how this black man is paralyzed by this Im- extremely powerful white woman. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of layers that you can unpack with that, you know, just as a scene. Right. But yeah. uh, it's different though. The fact that, you know, he was in there to, he was in there to end her. He wasn't being seduced by her. Right. He's right. like, no, nah, you're the problem. Right. And, and misguidedly, I think, which is also another piece that you can, argue right you could say you know does that speak to misguided you know animosity that we might have towards white women mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. right that's a normal unsophisticated way to understand white womanhood in the united states that the whiteness privileges them and the womanhood causes them to be victimized that's right. on that that's i think that's pretty easy to understand there's two things i need to talk about i need to talk about montrose and the fact that he is the keeper of secrets Unnecessary mm-hmm. secrets in many in many times. Like, you know, what happened to Uncle George? We agreed. I know we agreed on it, but I got to tell uh, Hippolyta. No. You know, so Montrose has like led that, iron-fisted that conversation. This is what we're telling her, right? He spoke to George in, the, in episode two. He might not be your son. I know we said we'd never talk about it. I don't care if you got a, a bullet in your gut. You know, we settled that. See, Montrose, that's his M.O., he creates the story that the world will come to know. And he's doing that primarily, in my mind, out of fear. Montrose fears for his family. He feels for his son. He fears for himself. Actually, doesn't fear for himself. He fears for everybody else around him. I think he kind of trusts that he can help himself, as we see when he rescues himself from the dungeon, uh, a la Count of Monte Cristo, uh, and then celebrates in the dark, and they're standing there waiting for him. <laughs> Montrose, Montrose is clearly a closed character. Like, you know, that it's trying to control the world with an iron fist and contain the inevitable growth and, ex- and expansion of his family and his son, who's surpassed him at this point. So we need to talk about Montrose. We have to talk about something else. My rewatch of episode two gave me some, informed something that we saw in episode four, which I haven't told you about. I believe that William and Christina are the same person. Interesting. I believe blonde William, friend of the family, and Christina Mm -hmm. are the same person. And I went back to watch. They're not in the same scenes at any time. Interesting. Christina has eliminated her father by informing uh, Tick 
giving yep. him helpful things. She's protected him to get him there. She's brought, she lured him there, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the, the, her, her father wanted him there as well. But she, there's, a, there's an order that will not accept a woman mm-hmm. at all. I believe she's a shapeshifter and has the ability to be a man. Interesting. I believe she's angling for all these things to get Tick to do all these things that he needs to do to, to bring the power to the order that then she, as William, can hold the mantle. So then does her jumping ahead, does her seduction of Ruby then, how does that play into it if that's her? That's, that's, that was interesting because by the time I saw the seduction of Ruby, I already had the theory that that's yeah. Christina. She's both. Yeah. She's like, just like the, just like the, Guyan, the Guyanese woman we saw that was a two-spirit woman. She was both yep. male and female. Yep. I, I think that's also like kind of giving us a foreshadowing also to Christina that she's both. And um, I don't know why she needs to seduce Ruby. She, Ruby could just go, but does seducing Ruby, aside from just giving us more story to tell, because I believe Ruby's going to become a white woman, does it also give her uh, influence and power over Letty? I, I honestly believe that in our next episode or next coming episodes, that Ruby is going to appear to everyone else as a white woman. And she'll be able to work at the store because she no longer is burdened, mm. as she saw it, by her dark black skin. Interesting. So I think that's where that's going. Uh, I'm also excited to see uh, Hippolyta really be explained to us as Hippolyta. Yeah. I, I honestly believe that she has some power, you know, untold, and that maybe she can do something with, if she has the knowledge of what actually happened to George, because she's really seeking it, what can she do with that knowledge? Where are you at on my, on my couple fan theories? Uh, so one of the things that, so I remember Hippolyta from <clears throat> Wonder Woman, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, I let you know and everybody know that the superhero that whose powers I wanted growing up was Wonder Woman. But I couldn't tell nobody because I was a little boy and I didn't know how you told people like I would actually want those powers. Right. So I would say Superman. But <clears throat> yeah, it was definitely uh, it was definitely Wonder Woman. And so Hippolyta being the queen of the Amazons. Right. You know, and this extremely powerful woman was something that I knew from comic books. And then. I had some, you know, Greco-Roman Civ class at some point. So she created, she named a star. Yeah, right? a comet. A comet. And her, the comet was Hera's Chariot, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about Hera's Chariot. I don't know. But I'm assuming, right, like, you know, it, it, that's got to have something, right? Do you have anything no. on that? No. Wonder Woman does reference Hera. Often, right in, in the cartoons, but I don't know anything about it. But yeah. I mean, there's always, you know, in in all things, and we're not really talking about it. There's always a surface level value to all this stuff, and it, that surface level value is just to say that I was this brilliant black woman who, like everybody who ever worked with Thomas Edison, never got credit for my work. Instead, it was always credited to the white counterpart. Um, you know, and that and here's just another example of that. You know, I wasn't allowed to have credit for my brilliance and the work and, and the hard work that I did. So there's the surface level value to that. I don't know if there's a second layer to that. There's um, gotta be. There's no way you have a character named Hippolyta who then, you know, Hippo- who then na- who just right Hippolyta who just happens who just so happens to name a comet Hera's chariot. Now look, it could be as simple as her understanding her name. 
yeah. and the etymology of her name. Right. And then stand with this, you know, Grecian, uh, you know, gods and titans sort of motif and say, OK, you know, I looked it up. So Harris Chariot was drawn by peacocks. Right. Um, and, and, you know, re- exotic birds, which makes sense for naming a comet. You know, it looks like this exotic thing being you know, flown through the sky by, yeah. you know, all the different colorful. So, yeah, I could, I could see that. Right. Uh, and, and look, maybe it has something to 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 do with it. Maybe it doesn't. If her name was Hera. That'd be, you know, something different. But at St. Hera's the goddess of just like uh, not fertility, but just like womanhood in general, like Hera's like goddess. Right. You know what I mean? Like if there's Zeus, then there's Hera, you know, right. so. Right. OK. So this episode, episode four, uh, definitely, I felt, had some stolen vibes. There was clearly a uh, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade vibe, you know, with the walk of faith that, that, was, that was there. Uh, there was also National Treasure. Definitely that was there, you know, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. underground inside of um, Mount Rushmore whole situation. Mm-hmm. So those things were there, and they're recognizable and fun. There was a young child in the library that you wanted to know if that was actually a kid, and and I don't know if that's supposed to be a known character. You you thought that I know you told me who you thought it might be if there was a nod. <laughs> yeah, I said you know it'd be funny if they come back and be like you know little Harold was in the library and people were just talking so loud, and you know little Harold every time he come to the library he gets all his books. He's so smart. Said he want to be the mayor someday. <laughs> Oh, Harold, right? Right. You know, and right. nah, I mean, like, shoot. and look, I don't know Harold Washington. I, I don't know if he was born in Chicago. I don't even know. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, well, whoever he was, he's reading 100,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Jules Verne right. piece, and that's where we're going. Right. So there's always a, uh, you know, the book kind of tells something about mm-hmm. where we're going, gives you the nod. They have the mm-hmm. Du Bois picture in the library mm-hmm. as the yep. centerpiece, which is cool. Um, I didn't I didn't read anything deeper into that. Did you did you see anything that would allude to Du Bois's message? in the, in the episode? Yeah. I, I just in general thought about the double consciousness, you know, and how Du Bois talks about that and how to just in general to, you know, to be black is to be in a rage, you know? Right. So, uh, so then maybe it's a nod to Ruby, what Ruby's going through. That's yeah, absolutely. Also Letty considering her human and now undead, whatever that, whatever that status is yeah and tick you know and tick now went from you know black dude war hero to now dude's a wizard and he just found out he's a wizard overnight so the idea that they could be dealing with those sorts of competing consciousnesses inside of them shit let he like you said let he spoke to it yeah you know we go to find the uh the scrolls as they were we end up under the museum, all national treasure-like, uh, thanks to a handshake with the night watchman, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, which is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, uh huh. I know where you're going with that one. I'm, I ain't going to yeah, step yeah, on that Yeah, yeah, I'm not even in. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> night, a handshake with the night watchman. And then we, we find the, the entrance to the, to the vault, which magically leads us back to Chicago as well, <laughs> right? Like the, uh, the elevator in our basement. Is, is somehow attached to this place. And we're in Boston at this point. Hey, man, I would love that. You go into an elevator? Like, where are you going? Uh, Man, no. I'm, all right, Cleveland. All right, cool. Press that Cleveland. elevator's creepy, though. I'm not trusting any elevator that does anything that that one does. <laughs> You'll get, you ain't getting that the elevator. That elevator has decapitated a dude. Man, look, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
What if you show up in Cleveland? <laughs> and what if I get decapitated? <laughs> so so we're underneath, uh, you know, the city of Boston. And we, we have different portals to choose from. There's, there's little things in there that just show stuff, which is cool. Like, you know, you ain't getting back up that rope. None of y'all climb. Tick might be able to climb back up the rope if you ever got back there. But the only way out really was the elevator. This, and this was clearly a one-way or circuitous trip. Yeah. You weren't going forward and then directly back finding the breadcrumbs no, no. so you could climb your ass. No, no, no. Plus, and yeah, like you said, once the leap of faith thing with the disappearing plank. You yeah, know. like like a like a fuse. It's like a wick burning behind mm-hmm. you. Like you better do this quick. Figure this thing out. And that's another that's another time we figure out that uh, Montrose once again is the keeper of secrets. Right. Mm-hmm. This dude not only actually has some information that he keeps to himself, but then he also makes up information. And he's got his closed mind agenda. He's definitely like what I would call um, scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. I struggle to like him. You know, I yeah. want I want to like Michael K. Williams in in his in his roles. He's done so much, so many fun characters, but <clears throat> I can't like him in this role, which is just what it is. And it's part of the story. You know, he's to be respected maybe, but he's been you know mean to his son growing up. He, and there's, there's a failing of George. Let's talk about that for a second. George, on his deathbed, acknowledges that I didn't protect you enough, Montrose, because you were so filled with love when you were a kid, and Dad whooped your ass. But then I also was quiet and let you whoop your son's ass over and over again. So George is admitting his own failings in life and having this moment. It'll be interesting to see if he also is resurrected at some time and what those realizations can mean to his character going forward. And did we? I might have spoken on that. Did, did we figure out if that was George that the kids were having a seance with? Bro, I don't know. Here's why. Like I said, I watched it again. Emmett Till is up in the in the attic doing the mm-hmm. doing the thing with Deanna and two other kids. Ouija board, yeah. The Ouija board, and they say, "Who are we talking to?" And you see George, and then you see from a medium shot like three more things. That you don't mm-hmm. see what it says. And then it goes, right. is dead. So was there a three or four letter word that we didn't see? Or was it a, you know, just a double showing of, you know, the movements on the board? I don't know. We saw it say George is dead. But there was mm-hmm. also some movements in there that weren't detailed. I don't know. Yep. I love it. I love the fact that I don't know. Like, I shouldn't know. We're supposed to have some mystery. I have drawn a conclusion that they were talking to George, that there are words in between, and he was explaining who is dead for some reason. Hmm. Okay. What do you think of the idea that Christina and William are the same? Uh, that could be, man. Christina's Fix only it. limitation in the show, because she's invulnerable, her only limitation is that she's female. Which is an interesting metaphor, right? Right. Uh, she could be. She could be. And and I, I'm curious as to what the motivations of a character would be Power. that could live as, in this case, a, you know, a, a man and a woman. What's the purpose of choosing? I mean, shit, look at it. Let's say it treats like a default video game character and you can choose all of the parameters that will make the game easier. Okay, I can listen to everything you have to say and you don't have you don't feel like any threat because you're speaking to me in my woman mode. 
And you know, the rule is that no woman mm-hmm. can have the power in this organization. So I can get all the intelligence. Sure. However, what you don't mm-hmm. know is that I'm not left-handed. Right. <laughs> Boom. I'm a dude. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the deal. And only re- only the reason I saw that is because she walked in the house in a dress and then William came out. And it was so quick. But it was like, dog, we ain't seen we ain't seen not one frame of those two in the same frame. Were there any family pictures? Just the old paintings of, uh, yeah. you know, Titus. Right. That's it. Yeah. It looked. Yeah. It was just literally like just some purely narcissistic pictures only of him. That, yeah. Yeah. Trying to remember if there was any paintings or pictures of them. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, you know, there's some sort of connection. I, I think so. The implication is that they're brother and sister, but no one has spoken to that that I no, that I know no, of. That's not what it that is. She said that they're even related. She said boyfriend, and she goes, "Well, yeah, he's a boy, and I guess he's a friend, but it's not. He's not positioned as anything other than family friend. He's not positioned as her brother." Do they reference either one of them in terms of their last name? Braithwaite is her last name. William doesn't they have a last said name. That Right. Got it. They have not said that about him. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, then, well, then, look, if it's her, his last name, Braithwaite, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think about the whole Guyana piece? I think that was one of those pieces that helped us to to get an understanding, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to, to flesh out the story, to give us an understanding of how this quest for power has run roughshod over, in this case, an indigenous set of folks. Right. Right. And so that's the way that I took it as a commentary also on settler colonialism, that this is what happens and we took over these people and then they ended up confining this non-binary person who Tick kept referring to as her, which is interesting. Which is... Which has she, to be purpose. It, it looked female. With pants well, they, on, they, it looks like a female. They. They. Continue. Instead of it, they. Yeah. Hey, man. Can't, can't you? Can't, look, I don't want the whole podcast to be around and be more said it. Okay. The animated so. character in the show looked like <laughs> female when it had pants on. And a, and a show that is as careful as it has been is going to be purposeful about him referring to that person as her okay right Mm -hmm. so that's a purposeful thing when you could see clearly this person had a penis and a vagina right right? so that and and also commentary on non-gender binary i know that different cultures around the planet have had all different types of conceptions of gender and what that means i know of cultures that have four different genders or five different genders, so to speak, or orientations in Mm -hmm, the world mm -hmm. that occur in varying amounts within their culture. So I think it was a nod to that as well. Well, Which sucks because if that's the nod, then that character also got presumably killed (laughs) in the, in the, with how many lines did in English did they have, right? Maybe a, a few, that's it. And that just and it doesn't mean it won't come back. And it doesn't, you know, oh, or it, it, you say or they? No, it won't come back in terms of the commentary on <laughs> gender. I, I don't it, know that you commentary. can. I don't know that you can slice that you can kill a person by slicing their throat who has lived for 
what, a hundred years I in, mean, the, in, the Goonies, be, in the Goonies boat? Right. That would be real weird if that's a, <laughs> like, if she just didn't want to be there, she could just kill herself? Like, right. you know, like, what else could she actually, like, be invulnerable to? Yeah, so you would assume, yeah, the last thing you see is her right. having her throat slit by, it was William, right? It was her, uh, Montrose. Montrose, excuse me, Montrose. Both, both villains. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. I see Montrose also as the black parent who says, I'm going to beat the crap out of my child so that the police don't do it to right. him later I've on. learned my lesson, and I don't want you to have to learn it that way. If you had to be bailed out of jail, <laughs> would you rather be bailed out of jail by your dad, Montrose, or your dad, James Evans Sr.? <laughs> right. Six, one, half dozen other. <laughs> Montrose is worse because Montrose actually got like some sort of power and, you know, ability to, to actually mess some stuff up. James Evans, James Evans was trying in that world, man, but he ain't have a lot that he could hold on to. One of the few things he could be was man of his house. That's hmm. about all he had. Well, they both are Chicago dads. Uh huh. That's interesting. Uh-huh. They both live not too far from the train. Yep. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. That's a tough one. Yeah, so I, I do understand his character as it's, as it be, as it's presented. You know, here's a guy who, again, was a loving mm-hmm. child who was beat, his dad beat the black off of him mm-hmm. because of whatever the dad's demons were trying to protect or raise a black son. And, and, and another. He passed that on. And another thing going back a bit. And I, so this is what I'll do. So you'll rewatch episodes. I'll pause, rewind, pause, rewind. Man, that, that, <laughs> that don't always go over well <laughs> with Veronica, but <laughs> I'll pause, rewind, go back. So when they were in the library looking at the books and Tick was looking at the different books and he saw that Montrose had checked out all those books, on the library card, the, the same names had also previously. And so uh. at a glance, I thought one of the names said, Omar Little. That is and I funny. Was ready, I was getting ready to <laughs> Kirk, Kirk out, out. Right? <laughs> I was getting ready to act the fool, right? Right. And I had to rewind a few times, and I said Omar Foster. Right? Okay. However, I, in looking so closely at that name, I noticed the same people had followed whatever path Montrose yeah. and Tick were following, mm-hmm. which implies th- there's an importance to it. Right. We might find out Omar Foster was one of the people who was a victim of the experiments and an ancestor that was trapped in that house. Right. right. You know, it, but it, it, again, this show, it reminds me of the wire in the way that there is no throwaway dialogue. Yeah. In, in every other show, even in you know, a show like breaking bad, there wasn't throwaway dialogue. The dialogue was always dope, but it didn't always necessarily tie back into the story. Right. The wire, everything they said tied back into the story. Somehow. Right. And this has that feel. This so far has that feel. Every piece seems like, look, Jackie Robinson beating up monsters in the you know, first few minutes of the entire series foreshadows Letty using the mm. bat to defeat the monsters. But that's also from the story that Montrose and uncle George told about their childhood when they were saved from being surrounded by 
a white mob, an angel came in with a baseball bat, hitting home runs with all their heads, saying, I got you, kid, to the point where Tick is dreaming about it. So it's it's really well done. And to the the writers of the show, you guys do an incredible job. To Matt Ruff, I'm going to assume that your inspiration is what led this room of writers to do this incredible job. And I won't know that until after all the episodes, because I'm not going to watch, I'm not going to read your book until the end. Yep. To everyone else who's enjoying the show, if my theories are right, I hope I didn't ruin it for anybody. Uh, let's all ride together. I don't mm-hmm. know, Jack. <laughs> I could yeah. be dead wrong, but this is how we watch shows, right? We, we love it, enjoy being right, enjoy being wrong. And last, I want to touch on something that's not related to the show, but related to conversations like this. You know, mm-hmm. this show is, on a surface level, it's, it's a horror movie. But it has a lot of dual meaning and a lot of historical reference and a lot of American historical references as it, as it concerns social justice and things like that. You know, it's, it's kind of bringing a lot to the conversation, which is fantastic. Regarding the conversation, Dr. Dolberry and I have a pet project that is in its infantile stages, but it's just meant to be a safe place for conversations like this with allies that's not Facebook, that's not Twitter, it's not for everybody, not in the public. Just a place where we can talk about how we really feel about things, how, how my kid is being treated in school, you know, with yeah. other black parents, black sympathetic people, black professionals, black whatever, whatever you want to call yeah. it. It's a place for a conversation like this. And that's called Seven. It's a community called mm-hmm. Seven.Community is the URL. Um, I'd love for you to check it out. It is the sponsor, official sponsor of the Black Futures podcast and will be for the foreseeable future. So check it out. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You can and you can go there and it's dope because you can curate your own conversations. It, you can <clears throat> you can run it and it's it, there's no big brother. Right. There's no there's no, no algorithm. algorithm. If you follow Brendan Moore, Maurice Dalberry. And you follow it, then you'll see each and every single thing we post from the important to the inane. You will see every <laughs> single syllable. It's a it's a it's a phenomenal alternative to to uh, to Facebook. Let me call myself out because I, I got to throw some more stuff on there um, to, you know, to help to help rock with that space, too. But, you know, so that's, you know, shoot me taking the advice that the show is giving yeah, yeah. It is definitely what I would call a safe place. That's the deal. Yep. So anyway, thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, we want to hear your comments. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at B-more, B-E-M-O-R. Dolberry, where do you want them to follow you? Uh, M-D Educator. That's M-D-E-D-U-C and then the number eight R. M-D Educator. educator. That's uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Yeah. Find me there. Cool. All right. Let us know what you think of the show. We want to hear from you. Catch you later.